Hi folks, a shout out this week to Sharon Pask, who did a review of the Take On Board podcast. Thanks, Sharon. She says, gender pay gap episode, very informative session with Emma Ray. Thank you. Well, thank you, Sharon, for taking the time to do a review. We love to get reviews here. And thanks to Emma for doing that episode. Second announcement for this week. This week we're hearing from Kari Hatch. And listen right through to the end of the episode where she shares resources because not only does she share some resources in the episode itself, but sent me a voice memo afterwards with some additional ones. So there's some gold in there. Radio on with the show. Hello and welcome to the Take On Board podcast, where we talk all things boards and governance. I'm your host, Halia Svensson. Being on a board can be interesting, valuable and exciting, yet it can also be really lonely, challenging and hard. So here at Take On Board, we'll bring you weekly tips, tricks and advice to help you build your governance wisdom. We'll shine a light on how to navigate your way onto your first board or to build your board portfolio. We'll also help you to work through those challenges that keep you awake at night. Each week, I'll talk to women who have been there, done that, and together we'll discover what we need to take on board to be your best in the boardroom. Today on the Take On Board podcast, I'm speaking to Chris Parker. Now, that name might sound a bit familiar to you, because you'll recall that just last week I spoke to Chris about the wonderful service that the Ethics Centre runs called Ethical. It was one of my favourite conversations on the podcast. So today I've got Chris back again, this time to talk about another two initiatives of the Ethics Centre, the Banking and Finance Oath and the Ethics Alliance. So like I said, I know you've heard me introduce Chris recently, but in case you haven't listened to that episode, let me tell you about Chris. Chris Parker works in the area of ethics within both the banking and finance sector and business more broadly. She's a driving force behind two of Australia's most profound initiatives, working to bring ethics into everyday professional life. She's the head of the Ethics Alliance, a community of organisations of every size, type and sector that are connected through the Ethics Centre to collaboratively shape the future of business with ethics. She is also a director of the Banking and Finance Oath, a program she helped execute and continues to work on. The BFO increases consideration of stakeholders and accountability for decision-making by financial services professionals across the industry through support and a pledge of integrity. Chris draws on her psychology degree and her experience as both an actor and producer in establishing a Manhattan theatre company, casting agency and production studio to include storytelling and a deep appreciation of human behaviour to her work. Welcome back to the Take On Board podcast, Chris. Thanks, Helia. It's great to be back. So, Chris, we did a bit of a background about you last week. So this time I wanted to still do a bit of a background on you, but a different question. Can you tell me something that you're proud of from the last month or so? Okay. Part of what I do in everything I do in my in my career, I suppose, is to help people make better decisions. So something I am really proud of, I'm a counsellor with Ethical, as you know, and I had a session with, with a person who had to make a really, really difficult decision 
I mean, it was one of those decisions that was based on a situation that was terrible. I can't go into details, but honestly, it's that kind of thing where you just want to go, no, this isn't really happening to you. Mm. It just couldn't get worse and it couldn't get worse. And we were running a a bit behind on ethical time because we've been inundated with calls. So that when she called me, she said, oh, look, I've, I've already made my decision And she had to choose between something that was horrendous or something that was just a little less horrendous. You know, there was no good in this. There's no good anywhere. And I said, oh, okay. I said, well, you know, we've carved out this hour together. If you think it might help or would you still like to go through this process? And and she was like, all right, well, why why don't we go through the process? So, So we went through the model. And at the end of it, her decision was exactly the same as the one that she'd made. And she did say that when she had the ethical dilemma that, she was stuck, stuck, stuck. And when she finally decided, she went, oh, my God, it's such a no-brainer. Of course this is what I have to do. So she, of course, got to that same decision again. And I said, oh, I hope I added some value for you in this conversation. And she said, she said what the conversation allowed her to do was to feel okay mm. about a really, really bad choice that she mm. had to make. And so it didn't take away from the pain of the decision, but it just gave her a sense of peace in knowing that that choice was the right choice at that time. Mm. And that was, I was super proud of that, of the model, you know, but I was super proud to be a part of that process. Oh, how fantastic. I mean, we do often have to make really difficult decisions where there isn't a very clear this is right and wrong or this is good and bad or whatever those beautiful, nice, simple things might be, they are often really difficult. So the first conversation we had about ethical was for exactly that, those things that are keeping directors awake at night and making you feel sick. This is a, a framework that people can go through that will help them make those decisions and or make them feel better about decisions they're either about to make or have just made. Fantastic. Well, well done. You and folks, if you're listening to this and you haven't heard that episode yet, go back and listen to it, really. It is an amazing service that the Ethics Centre runs and you'll hear more about it in that other episode. I'll make sure there's a link in this one to the show notes so people can do that. Today, we got you back because the Ethics Centre and you are are closely involved in two of those initiatives, as I said in the introduction, the Banking and Finance Oath and the Ethics Alliance. And I think there's some things in both of those that would be of keen interest to directors. Let's start with the Banking and Finance Oath. What is it and how might it be of interest to board directors? It is a pledge of integrity, I suppose, is the best way to put it. It's it's an implicit way of demonstrating one's integrity. It came about after the, the GFC and a group of financial services senior leaders came together and said, okay, the industry globally is in trouble here and how can ethics play a role? How can we help with ethics? And so it was recognised that there are codes and obligations and regulations all the way down from whether it's ASIC and APRA going through to the ABA, so associations, then going through to the organisation, etc. But what there wasn't was something for an individual mm-hmm. to commit to. 
similar to the Hippocratic Oath, similar to the oaths that a lawyer would take, that an engineer would take, mm. a professional would take. Now, the argument has been said that financial services is not professional per se, but I, I would argue that people within financial services consider themselves and their behaviour to be professional. And part of that puts the onus on individuals to self-reflect, to be accountable for their behaviour and to self-regulate on some mm. level. I mean, already the system is a is a kind of a self-regulatory system in part just purely because the codes exist within institutions and within associations. But the oath itself works more like a, a passport too. So it travels from banking to superannuation to insurance and it's a demonstration of leadership. So when I first started with the banking and finance oath, the strategy was very much about going to the top and mm. in financial services that was the to me, it was the governor of the Reserve Bank and then to the chairs of the regulators and then to, to chairmen of boards and directors and CEOs and boards and et cetera, et cetera. Right now, interestingly, watching the world and ethics and financial services, you know, like going from 2014 where you had the explosion and the expose around financial services and financial advice more specifically driven by Adele Ferguson, a, a journalist and mm. excellent journalism. So you, you you sort of had that. Then you had this little bit of hubris, I, I dare say, a little dip of it in there going, no, 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 that's not our problem. We don't have a problem. To then a royal commission and then to, oh, my goodness, you know, and this realisation and the humbling process. And then that's dipped up again now to where I see a really genuine, particularly by boards, a really genuine understanding of the positioning of organisations in society and what that means. And I've seen the oath taken up by those senior leaders and young people now, so young people who want to live their values, that want to bring their whole selves to work, that want to shape the places where they work, that want climate change addressed, that want well-being addressed, that want all these things addressed. And now we're seeing these senior leaders reach out and say, we want you to want that because that's what we need, you know. Yeah. So it's been a really interesting journey with the oath. So how does that work? So you've got a number of senior leaders who individually sign up to it and then as an individual and presumably staff of banking or super or insurance or whatever organisations also sign up to it, how does that impact what they do day to day? Well, you want to try and create an artefact, which I think is what the BFO mm. does. Well, I know it does. So there are some smaller organisations where the entire organisation has taken the banking finance oath and mm. it's become a part of their culture. Mm -hmm. um, it's become a part of the expectation of senior leaders. It's become yeah. a commitment by the board that they want to see this be a part of the culture. I think we underestimate what artefacts are mm. and, and the impact that they can have on behaviour and on culture. Uh, the other thing I've seen the oath do, and it's anecdotal, of course, although I have started to get people to write down times when they've used the oath to change their mm. behaviour, but I have had people come to me and say, I was asked to do something by a senior person, a third party in a meeting, and they asked me to, to change something in a document that I was putting together. 
And I told them I couldn't. And, you know, they got a bit of the pushback and they said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm a signatory of the BFR. What can I tell you? Don't take it personally. And I just think, wow, that's great. So for this younger person, they could just be one arm's length away and do what they knew was the right thing to do without feeling like they were going to be personally attacked for it. It would be pretty hard for a manager to then say, oh, well, we need you to do it anyway. It's not just what I think. It's like, no, it's in breach of our of my code of ethics, which is also the code of ethics of a number of other people within the sector. Exactly. And I tell you, I, I've seen board members and senior exec teams stand up and they've either taken, I'm holding the, the oath in my hand now just for those listening, but they've used it as, as a card. And people have come in and said, you come to me if you think that we as an organisation are not living our values. And I think that's a really interesting way to to use banking finance. I mean, we need to start engaging and employing people on ethics rather than how well they do a job and their skills and knowledge because people with skills and knowledge can still be toxic for a culture. Mm -hmm. And so other organisations who use the banking finance oath in the interview process to say, we'd like you to consider taking the banking finance oath. These are our values. This is what's important to us. Do you think that there's anything in this that doesn't align with who we are and and why this wouldn't work together? And if if they have something to say, then then it's just a great conversation. The oath is voluntary. And it's just a great conversation around ethics and values that we just don't talk about enough anyway. You know, I imagine somebody sitting in an interview and saying, well, is this what you think? That might not be quite how it's framed, but, uh, you know, is this part of how you operate? It's pretty easy for people to say, oh, yeah, sure, it is. But to then have a conversation about it, what does this mean to you? What should this mean to our organisation? How do you see it being illustrated in our organisation or not being illustrated in our organisation means people really need to engage in it rather than just saying, yep, no worries, I'm part of that. If you want me to be part of it, I'm part of it. (laughs) It's not compliance and that's the whole point. It complements compliance, it complements regulation but it's not. And as an artefact, you can put it onto your email sign-off. So more often and more often, I'm receiving emails with that signatory on it. And I go back to the governor of the Reserve Bank, and if you look at his CV and when he speaks at places, he has it on his CV that he is a signatory of the Banking and Finance Oath. And, and that is an artefact. And if you put it on your email, it means every time you send an email and every time someone receives your email, it's just something there that says, I have integrity. I'm going to try and do the right thing. It doesn't mean you're going to. It's not a panacea. You're still going to make mistakes. Absolutely. But hopefully you'll be able to feel that you can be accountable for them. And that yes. that's key. Actually, just because you said you've got it there, can you read us the what the oath actually is so people... Yeah, can hear what it's about? I certainly can. And one needs to remember that, you know, some people take the words very literally Mm -hmm. um, and other people take the words more as a a sentiment of Mm -hmm. of how they feel. So it starts with trust is the foundation of my profession. I will serve all interests in good faith. I will compete with honour. I will pursue my ends with ethical restraint. I will help create a sustainable future. I will help create a more just society. I will speak out against wrongdoing and support others who do the same. I will accept responsibility for my actions. In these and all other matters, 
my word is my bond. Mm-hmm. When you read that, you think, oh, okay, that all sounds a bit full on. There's two big takeaways for me for that. It's doing words. I will, I will, and that's what ethics is. It's doing, it's it's making choices, it's doing something, it's action. And when you break it down in good faith, with honour, pursue ends with ethical restraint, all that means is I'm going to bring ethics in. I'm going to be courageous enough. I'm, I'm going to bring ethics into the situation here. Sustainable future. I won't just look at short-term goals. I'll look at mm. the consequences on a long-term view. Create a more just society. Fair. It's about being fair. It's about doing the right thing. It's about doing things in good faith. You know, I will speak up against wrongdoing and support others who do the same. Now, it's really interesting because there's a a similar tenet, I suppose, in the FASIA, which is the the professionalisation of financial advice. And I've heard people say, oh, what, they expect me to dob on people. And they've pushed back on that tenet. And I just think... They're not asking you to dob on people. They're mm. just asking you to call something out when you don't think it's right. And now that's not easy. There's no doubt. It's they make it. You know, it sounds like oh well, that's you know, what am I supposed to go out there and say you're wrong or, or tell someone that you've done something wrong? Of course, it's not easy. But maybe you can twist that with curiosity. Why are you doing that? You know, that doesn't seem to be in line with with the values or with what we're aiming to do here. And I think there are ways to do it. And it's not about dobbing. It's about contributing to and strengthening an ethical foundation. I know it's it's aspirational. The law is there because we have to do it and it's the bare minimum. I'm the first person to say this is aspirational, but ethics is aspirational. And if we don't aspire, where does that leave us? We should always be aspiring. And we'll fail over and over, but we'll have wins too, good wins. How do you know that signatories are doing the right thing and what if they're not? What if people are not calling out behaviour? What if people are not defending others that are calling out behaviour? What if people are not acting, you know, in good faith with honour and the other parts of the pledge? What happens then? How does it work in practice in that way? No, fair enough, fair enough. So it's transparent in the sense that the website, you can see everyone who's a signatory on the website. Mm. So that is always something where you could go to somebody and say, hey, you're a signatory. Because as we know with ethics, unwillful blindness, more often than not, if someone is behaving in a way that is unethical, they don't even realise They've rationalised that they've got blind spots. They're being driven to do that through processes. They're being incentivized or whatever. Mm-hmm. So that is one aspect. The other aspect is that the the as more and more people bring ethics to the fore, and I don't even mean necessarily becoming a signatory, although that that is the ideal. As more and more people do that, it will be a case of self-selection because people around you will start going, no, that's we, we can't do that. That's not the way we do it. Mm. And I know I speak to the converted, but I, I just got off a webinar this afternoon with a, a large team of, of people in financial services and, and a, a consulting firm that works with them and whatnot. And the way you and I are talking about ethics, we're not alone. Like, Five years ago or, you know, 10 years ago when I started the Ethics Centre, you said the word ethics and people ran a mile. They cowered. (laughs) They thought, oh, my gosh, I'm going to be called moralised. I'm going to be told I've done something wrong, you know, and and I have watched that shift 
There are so many more conversations like this now. You can't Mm. even imagine people encourage this. So that, to me, makes me feel really positive about the Banking and Finance Oath because people want to have an opportunity to talk Mm -hmm. things out more often than not. And there are still going to be those bad apples and there are still going to be those people who do things that are inappropriate. But you know what? It's no longer just the employees or the the managers or the the execs or the boards of an organisation that will stop that. It's their customer. It's their supply chain. Honestly, it's a word of mouth. If someone gets on social and says, oh, my God, I've got a colleague who did this, you know, like... (laughs) But you are held to account on so many levels that it would be detrimental not to make sort of a concerted effort to do the right thing because your reputation is going to get damaged somewhere, somehow. It it did occur to me as you were talking about this. Now, obviously, for those that are listening that are directors of financial organisations in whatever form that might be, this is relevant for them or people who work in those organisations. But it did occur to me that as a customer, I didn't know that they're all listed on the Banking and Finance Oath website. But as a customer, that's a great thing for me to be able to check. It's like, I want to deal with this person, not that person. Yes. We Mm. have had customers call us. And in Mm. fact, when we originally had it up, it didn't say what organisation they worked in. We had a customer who was an ANZ customer who said, I want to work with someone who's a signatory of the Banking and Finance Oath. So we went to the CEO of ANZ and said, are you okay if we put ANZ, the place that they work, on the signatory list? Mm. And he was like, absolutely. And so we did. We checked with everyone. They're like, absolutely. That's the point of it. So that's yes. why the yeah. organisation's there. It was driven by a customer. That I is- love that idea, a customer that says, are you signatory of the Banking and Finance Oath? It's on my list now. I'm about to go and check. Uh, yep, for, for my all of my banking purposes, I'm about to go back and check as soon as we've finished this conversation. <laughs> oh, but that doesn't mean people who don't take the oath aren't ethical, honestly. No, but it could also be for, you know, when I am dealing with people in the bank, it that if they don't know about it, it's like, have you heard about this? I would prefer to deal with somebody that is. I'm not saying you're not ethical, but you may. But I want you to wear your heart on your sleeve, essentially. I want to know, and I think others should know, so this is a good thing. Oh, that is so awesome. <laughs> so, look, connected to this in a way, you also do work with the Ethics Alliance. Now, the, the Banking and Finance Oath is for individuals to sign up to who work in banking and finance, unsurprisingly. <laughs> the Ethics Alliance is for organisations. Tell us what the Ethics Alliance is and how that works. Yeah, the Ethics Alliance is really interesting. I, I do love it, actually. So about three years ago, we did a bit of work, a sort of focus group work around where does ethics fit in in business more broadly? And so there was a number of people that would come together, particularly around compliance and governance across mm-hmm. sectors and the big end of town mostly, but they would come together and they would talk about their issues and compare mm-hmm. and, and new rules coming through and keeping up with things, you know, for best practice and, and whatnot. But there's nothing for ethics, nothing. Mm-hmm. So we thought, okay. So we developed a program called the Ethics Alliance. I like to think of it as a platform. We started off with a very simple sort of program, one where we bring the CEOs together in a Chatham House environment. So that's mm-hmm. an environment where what they say can be talked about, but not who said it, no identifying elements that could tell you who said what. 
That was one thing with the CEOs. Then we thought, well, whatever they are discussing, you know, we'll try and get some workshops or events or dig deeper into that, that area. Also from that to a business magazine called Matrix Magazine. And then also a quality decision-making platform that's a part of that that's free for all of the employees within that membership group. So that was working incredibly well, so much so that the CEO groups that came together developed a strong trust and and could really have robust, open conversations about people would bring case studies. Right now, you just have to look at the front page of the AFR and it's like, okay, (laughs) here's something we can talk about that has some sort of ethical dimension to it. And this was pre-COVID. Because that aspect of the alliance was working so well, we then extended that. So now we do chairs, CEOs, CFOs, head of culture, and head of corporate affairs. Mm -hmm. Um, So right now we have five groups. Each one meets every three months. So that's five groups every three months. We still do the Matrix magazine and the other stuff still follows. But what these gatherings do and it's amazing so the the organizations range it's not for profits we've got retail we've got property got banking got law got some associations got some government so it really is quite the gamut Um, Mm. and they come together and, and what it does which is so vital for ethics is creates perspective so that's brilliant the way that works But here's an example of something that worked really well. So we had a gathering of chairs and because we now use Zoom, which is brilliant, you might have a chair who's living overseas. You might have a chair Mm -hmm. who's in Perth, you you know, so everyone can come. That's actually the most frequented gathering of the lot. So we had one chair who said, I don't know how to describe my organization's culture. And this is a large organization. So we talked about that a little bit and, and they said, we, you know, this person was very into culture too, very, very committed to a good culture and their organisation does have a very good culture. Said, but I don't know what to say now. You know, the regulators require it on some level, but when I'm out and about, people say it's a housey culture. Mm. So then the next time I had a meeting with the heads of culture people, I was able then to say to them, hey, your board members I'm not quite sure how to describe their culture. How are we doing that? You know, what does that look like? And what are the communication lines to the directors from your department? And I wish we could share this with your, maybe we can share it with your listeners, but we do these infographics that have the entire conversation on them. And then we can share that with everybody. And that just means, you know, like if you've got something challenging happening in corporate affairs, you know, around reputation, then someone on the board might Mm. be able to go, oh, okay, so that's what's going on down there and and get some thinking around it. Really, Mm. really interesting. And some of the issues, particularly with the boards, they're higher thinking issues, as you would expect. But it's higher thinking, but then is brought down to the practicalities of the business. Mm -hmm. So it's a really interesting translation of being able to do that. Yeah, I have a huge amount of respect for everyone who goes to all of the gatherings because they're extremely generous. Things like we had a corporate affairs one recently where there was an issue where someone had said something, eh, not that great, 
on their personal social media platform Mm -hmm. and a customer had tracked them down and then found they used their same photo on LinkedIn and found them on LinkedIn Mm -hmm. and then gone to corporate affairs and said, your person either needs something like empathy training or should be fired or whatever it is, you know, not not good corporate affairs is going, ah, what do I do about this? So, you know, it was a real interesting space that business is coming into now, hybrid working, Mm -hmm. social platforms, people wanting to bring their whole self to work, a deeper understanding of values, a, a stronger passion about the role business plays in society, all of this together is creating this incredible complexity, incredible yeah. complexity. Yeah. And so it was a, a great discussion, but I then took those to, to the chairs, that discussion, and said, how do you feel about this? You need to set this tone. What, yeah. you know?" And then they could talk about it with all their different perspectives and wisdom and experience, you know. It was good. Oh, what an incredible opportunity for that sharing of information across the different groups and for the gleaning of insights and leadership from each of the different groups when some of those uh, topics cross over. And they drive it. You know, the Ethics Centre, again, back to we're not moralising at all. That's not our play. You provide the space. Just the space and the facilitation. Well, and isn't that interesting too that, you know, you, inverted commas, just provide the space, which is is an important thing in and of itself, but people come to the space. So you've provided the space and they're coming. So it's clearly something that people want to be able to have that space to work through. Exactly. And that's what there is not. That wasn't there. It didn't exist. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, the Ethics Centre has been around for 30 years. You know, it hits well above its weight. I think it has a really important place in, in our society actually. It has integrity and I think that helps us be able to hold those audiences per se. And 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 the people in the room, I mean, often we are speaking to the converted. The people in the mm. room are amazing, are amazing people. But I guess even if it is speaking to the converted, that is still leadership from many organisations in that sector and case studies of those organisations that are leading in this space. Virtue, it needs to be seen it mm. needs to be demonstrated. The banking and yeah. finance oath serves exactly the same way. If yeah. you see somebody make a good and right decision, it gives you permission. And you see yeah. that they haven't lost their job or whatever, yeah. you know, but it gives you permission to do that. If if you as an individual, every time you, you come under that sort of tension and you think, oh, this doesn't feel right, why is this decision hard to make? It mm. reveals your values and yes. it tests your values it tests your values it tests your organization values and it then goes on to shape who Mm. you are it shapes your character it shapes your culture and it informs your next decision so it does it demonstrates that integrity and it it is leadership and I see it organizationally and and I see it individually and it's it's great Mm. that people embrace it actually Folks, if you're listening and you're on the board of an organisation, you know, there's two more tools. If you're a finance sector, banking and finance one, the banking and finance oath and uh, the ethics alliance, if you're an organisation, great way of getting some of these insights, I guess, delivering more value to your organisation that can then deliver that value to society, really. Yeah, I think so. Like at the BFO once a month, we had this kind of open forum and we had a director there, it was financial services, but it was Mm. a director. 
And I said, okay, I was about to start my dilemma and I said, oh, it's one of those dilemmas that's between an organisation and an individual and someone in the room said, oh, God, I've got one of those right now. And I said, oh, well, would you like to share that? Why don't we do yours? And they're like, oh, okay. So this person, you know, was great, completely unidentified. We have no idea which board it was. The person sits on a number of boards and made a point of saying, I don't want to tell you which one, obviously. So Mm -hmm. we didn't. And then went on to go through this dilemma with some other people in the room. Mm -hmm. Now, there are a couple of other senior people in the room, but there are a couple of other junior people in the room too, and this is what I loved about it. And so we went through this and asked questions and looked at things from different perspectives. And some of the younger people in the room, I don't mean age-wise, I mean experience-wise also, came with a more naive but fabulously innocent angle Simple question that might be, well, have you asked them? Mm. And then suddenly it's like, oh, no, (laughs) you know, I'm I'm so caught up in this. No, you know, whatever that might be. And at the end of the day, it was done and and the director emailed and said, oh, wow, I feel really selfish, but thanks for letting that whole 45 minutes Mm. come to me. And I said, are you kidding me? I said, great, you know, of course, pleasure. But everyone else in the room got so much value out of that conversation. These always go way too quickly. I'm going to put it out there, folks. I was just talking to Chris before we started about maybe for those that have come to take on board events before, you know I normally get a speaker and then we do q and I'm thinking we might just get Chris to come along to an event and you all have to listen to these two podcasts and then we'll just go straight to Q&A. So if that's something of interest, let me know because I'll organise it with her. But anyway, Chris, what are the key things you want people to take away from the conversation that we've had today? I suppose when you listen to this podcast and you listen to what is ethics and, you know, Mm -hmm. what does it mean to discuss ethics, just become mindful of when you make those choices, I could have made a different choice. Why did I make that choice when you have time to do this? What, What are the values? I think, you know, spend time reflecting on values and through, I'm sure through COVID, many people have realized what their values are very, very strongly. I know even in my own relationship, you know, with my partner and suddenly we're on different sides of the fence around one of the values. I thought, oh, this is weird. We've always been on the same side of the fence, you know, and learning how to articulate that. So I suppose, yes, takeaway is, you know, take time to deeply understand what it is that you do value because Mm -hmm. when you then come into those ethical dilemmas, quote, unquote, you just be more mindful of why it is that you're feeling that tension and and mindful of that blind spot or that bias or that emotion and where it's coming from and and maybe feel like you can make a, a better choice because of that knowledge, I suppose. Absolutely. I know sometimes people think values is the fluffy stuff, but knowing your own values and your organization values is key. And is there, we will put a link to the Banking and Finance Oath, to the Ethics Alliance in the show notes, but is there another resource um, that you'd like to share with the Take On Board community? I did want to share, and we may have talked about this last time, Mm. I did want to share the AICD and Ethics Centre, Ethics on the Boardroom. Yes, that that was a webinar, wasn't it? Was it a webinar or do you mean a, a document or both? No, it's actually just a document. I do believe that AICD did, Mm -hmm. in fact, I know they did. They ran a course and I didn't 
do the course itself. I know that Simon spoke and did a couple yes. of webinars within that course, but I think the document's just excellent. I think it's just right. one of those things that you have printed out next to you anyway and it's really worth mm. having a look at. I'll make sure there is a link to that in the show notes as well. And, in fact, just because you picked up the Banking and Finance Oath before, maybe we need a little, you know, a handy card. Oh, yes. Oh, I will. Yes. I'll send you one. And you know what else you should do? You should, I should send you a link to the latest Matrix magazine. Oh, yes. Fabulous. I did an interview with Meredith Helicar, who was the chair of James Hardy through those difficult times, oh. just trying to understand the ethics around what she was going through at the time so it was a you know there was some interesting insights I think and reflections on what things were like in context back in 2001 as to what they're like now in 2021 20 years later oh my god amazing I would love you to send me a link to that because I would love to have a look at it that would be great thank you Oh, Chris, thank you so much. Like last time, it's how we ended up having this second conversation. So much interesting stuff in there. And as you say, thankfully, you know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, maybe even 10 years ago, ethics was not something that people talked about. And ethics in the boardroom was definitely not something people talked about. And thankfully, now it's pretty commonplace. You know, the AICD have their paper on it. They have webinars on it and so on. Yeah, yeah, I was just going to say very quickly that EST yeah. has become so incredibly prominent. We didn't even go yes. down that route. Yes. But, uh, ethical decisions are probably more important and more complex because yes. of that imperative. So, yes, anyway, that's, mm-hmm. that, that, that's another webinar. I know this is really important to the Take On Board community, so thank you for taking the time to be with us here today. Oh, thank you so much for having me back. I really appreciate it. Hi there, it's Helia. That's a wrap for the Take On Board podcast today. I do this podcast because I love bringing good women together. So it's great to be able to share these conversations that I'm having with these amazing group of women with you. Now, can I ask a favour? Could you share this podcast with someone you know? Perhaps you can share it with some of your board colleagues or someone else that you know that's interested in exploring all things boards and governance. With your help, we can grow the Take On Board community. Last but not least, if you want to continue the conversation, you can also join us over in the Take On Board Facebook group where there's lots of great discussions, tips, tricks and resources being shared. I would love it if you can join in the conversation there. You can find it by searching Take On Board in Facebook. Thanks for listening and tune in next week for another fabulous conversation.